Amen. The Spirit of God is up in this place. Amen. And it's a good thing when you get emotional in the midst of worshiping the King of Kings. Is there, is there anything that's greater to get emotional about, right, than King Jesus? So turn, if you would, to John chapter 3, and we're going to pray that God's Spirit would bless this time. And that God would have a word for each of us individually in this moment. A word that's sent by God to minister to, to where you're at. What you're going through. And what the Lord has to say through His Scriptures that are God-breathed and all we need. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we just come before You and we want to acknowledge Jesus is a living hope. Lord, we don't worship a dead Savior. We worship a living Savior. We worship one who conquered the grave. One who authenticated his claims. One who paid for our sins on that cross on Calvary. And was risen three days later. And appeared to his disciples. And then they took the name of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they flipped the world upside down for the glory of your name. And Father, I pray that your spirit would touch our hearts right now, that your spirit would open us up to receive what you have for us today in the word of God. Lord, help us to be about making much of King Jesus in this room today. And Lord, if we don't know you, that you would rest on our hearts in a powerful way that you would cause your spirit to open our eyes that we might see and our ears that we might hear and that we would enter into this living hope that only Jesus can bring. And so we thank you and we ask your blessing in Jesus name. Amen. So we're coming to a point in John chapter three where a transition is going to happen. Where we're going to see this figure, John the Baptist, who was the forerunner of Jesus, who was this man who came in the spirit and power of Elijah, who was dressed like Elijah. He was just a, he was kind of a gnarly guy, had a leather belt and a camel's hair, and he was rough and burly, and he was out in the wilderness calling people to repentance. And his message was essentially, people get ready. Jesus is coming. Now, last week we talked about the fact that Jesus is coming again. So people get ready. Jesus is coming. But John the Baptist, his message was telling all of Israel and was telling everybody in the Middle East that Messiah was coming. Make straight the ways of the Lord. Prepare yourselves, repent of your sins, and get ready because a Savior's coming. And this was a deep longing in Jewish identity. This was a deep longing among the people of the time that they would have somebody come and overthrow the Romans, and that king would come. That the coming king, the one prophesied of old, the one who was the son of David, who would 
reign on an eternal throne forever and would set things right. Well, this is John's message. And we step into this strange moment in the Gospel of John where John the Baptist, let's not confuse those two, right? John, the author of the Gospel, was one of the inner circle. But John the Baptist, this fiery prophet I've been talking about, he was coming to a place where his ministry was going to fade into the background. And Jesus' ministry was going to take supremacy. And we come to this scene where Jesus' disciples are baptizing people in the same area, and John's disciples are baptizing. And so you kind of walk into it, and you're like, oh, there's a little bit of a showdown going on here. we got Jesus' disciples baptizing, John's disciples, and all of a sudden, John's disciples see that, and they're concerned. Like, this, all these people are drawn away from our ministry to Jesus' ministry. And they come to John the Baptist, and they're quite concerned. And John is going to, he's going to reach into some of the most pivotal, crucial teaching that will set up the identity of the future church and the way we see ministry. And he'll say things like, he must increase, but I must decrease. And he who is from above is above all. And he who is from the earth is of the earth. And he's going to help his disciples get perspective on what matters most in life. And so this message, the title of this message is just really about making much of Jesus. Making Jesus the blazing center of your life. And perhaps you're in here today and your life is falling apart. And the reason is not because you didn't have enough education. And the reason is not because you need to find that new thing to latch a hold of, or that you need to find just the right spouse, or that you need to find the right job, or get the 401k, or get all the ducks in a row, or pursue the American dream. The reason our lives begin to unravel is because Jesus is not at the center. We were made for worship, and sin has messed that all up. And thousands of years ago in a garden, we rebelled against God and we've been separated ever since in our sins. And God promised a Savior was coming. And John's message was all about getting ready. And that Savior, as we know and as we sung with all our hearts and all our emotion and that whole soul devotion, as the people of God, like he's a living hope. He's here. He changes lives. He rescues people from darkness. That's who Jesus is. So look with me in John chapter three. We'll also have it on the screen. And we are going to read. Verses 22 to 30. After this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. 
There's Jesus baptizing, or his disciples. And John also was baptizing at Aon near Salim. Because water was plentiful there, and the people were coming and being baptized. For John had not yet been put into prison. Now a discussion arose between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it has been given to him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I have said I'm not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. The one who has the bridegroom or sorry, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. He must increase, but I must decrease. And he who comes from above is above all. And he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. But he who comes from heaven is above all. And he bears witness to what we have seen and heard, and yet no one receives his testimony. But whoever receives his testimony sets his seal on this, that God is true. For he whom God has sent utters the words of God, for he gives the Spirit without measure. The Father loves the Son and has given all things into his hand. And then listen, this summary verse of all of the book of John. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. And whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. Now we're only going to take verses 22 to 30 today because there's just so much there. But we have to get into this world, right? We have to understand what's going on. We have to see the Scriptures and see what John's intending to show us. And he's giving us one last opportunity to see what John the Baptist's ministry was all about. And what missing the core of who Jesus is, the identity of Christ, what happens when you miss that is your life begins to unravel. So the first thing I want us to look at is missing the mission. Did you all see that in verse 22 to 26? Verse 22 reminds us that Jesus' disciples were baptizing in, in the same area. And then verse 23 says that John also was baptizing in that area. And then you have this discussion in verse 25 between some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they come to John and they say to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan to whom you bore witness, look, he's baptizing and they're all going to him. Do you hear that? It's like they're concerned. Like, John, John, your ministry is fading. Like they're all going to Jesus. And I was reading that and I was kind of like, 
Did they not listen to what John was saying about the Messiah? But they did not get it at the moment. John's disciples had lost their way in some fashion. They'd lost sight of the mission of John the Baptist. Because John the Baptist was all about pointing to Jesus. He was all about making much of Jesus. He was all about preparing people to get ready for the coming one. And so this big buildup and this big anticipation and this moment when the Son of God will come to save sinners and restore His people John was just longing on his tippy toes for that. And yet we see here, his disciples have no clue. They're just wondering who's going to dunk more people. John's disciples should have been busy pointing people to their need for a Savior. But somewhere down the line, they lost sight of the mission. And the mission that was so critical became a mission that was failing to happen and failing to be understood in their hearts. And they began to compete with Jesus. Now, listen, ministry gets all kinds of messed up when we start trying to compete with Jesus instead of making much of Jesus. The greatest preaching is the kind of preaching that gets out of the way and just lets Jesus take front and center. The greatest ministry in this church is the ministry that holds up Jesus, right? As soon as we start looking sideways, and like, oh, what's going on over in that Bible study? Oh, you know, and we start getting concerned about what's going on there or concerned about what's going on here. And we start comparing and we start counting noses and we start wondering what's up. Oh, what's up with that church down the street? And it becomes no longer about Jesus. But it becomes something that is missing. The most vital, essential realities. Perhaps there's some in here today who've lost sight of the mission of Jesus Christ. The mission of the church. The identity of the church is the same identity that John the Baptist had. People get ready. Jesus is coming. Let me show you the Savior. Let me point the way to Christ. Let me tell you how you can get help. And listen, some of you are really hurting in here. And you've been separated from God for a long time. You've been doing your own thing. You've been walking your own way. Your soul feels crushed. You feel so alone. You feel so guilty. You feel like you're coming unfettered. And there's nothing centering you. There's no gravity in your life. And you're like, how do I, like, where do I go? And the Christian identity is all about showing us we need Jesus. Christians need Jesus. We still need Jesus. And if you're in here today, I just want to tell you, we have a great Savior. We got a living hope. We got somebody who can deal with your bondage. We got somebody who can deal with your desperate situation. We got somebody who can deal with your appointment with death in one day. 
He'll conquer it in your life. If you trust him, one out of one people die. And John the Baptist was so zealous for getting this message out. And he was so concerned that his disciples had missed the mark and they had lost sight of the one it was all about. Right? They lost sight of the mission. And sometimes in the American church, we can get so fixated on preserving some kind of traditionalism, preserving some kind of thing that we don't want to go away and we lose sight of the mission and we no longer are evangelistic. Now hear me the right way on this. Sometimes when we think about the Great Commission, we're very eager to cut a check, but we don't care about doing the Great Commission. Sometimes we're excited about evangelism, but not doing evangelism. And John's disciples had missed the mission. And if we're not careful, and we lose sight of heralding the name of Jesus, and every single member of Smithfield Baptist Church has a fire lit in their hearts, to take the name of Jesus to a lost world. That's how you start seeing transformation happen in culture, one heart at a time. And that's how Jesus intended it. And that's what John knew needed to happen. And so he was giving his disciples a lesson on what matters most. So we can miss the mission. But we also see from this passage that we can be reoriented by truth. Look for a second with me at verse 27. How does John respond to the disciples, right? What does he say to them? John answers and says, A person cannot receive even one thing, unless it is given to him from heaven. Oh, so God has given us everything. What do we have that we have not received? Everything in your life has been given. Right? There are no self-made people in the world. Because every ability, every function of your body, every molecule is being held together by God. And everything good in your life is a gift. And John is pointing his disciples back. Like, you got to know that there's a sovereign God in the universe. You got to know that my ministry was given to me by, by God. My ministry was about something. My ministry has a, t a, t a schedule. My ministry has an expiration date. But there's one coming. Oh, and his ministry was given by the Father as well. Because the Father sent the Son into the world. And that's what we saw a few weeks ago. For God so loved the world, right? For in this way God loved the world that He gave His only Son. That whoever believes on Him shouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. That's glorious. It's given from above. In fact, Jesus would be talked about in verse 31 as the one who came from heaven. 
The one who came from above. Who's above all. And so naturally, John's like, brothers, we got to submit. The king's come. The king's come. And you ought to be rejoicing. But we'll get to that. The sovereignty of God was something the disciples of John were grumbling against. Why is God blessing him and not us? Have you been there? Have you looked sideways, seen blessing on somebody else, and you got jealous? You got envious? Why is blessing on that person's life? Instead of acknowledging that every good gift is from God, right? Instead of seeing that the place and the fount of all blessing comes from the one that God aimed to send to bring life to the world. The greatest gift the world has ever seen came from heaven and His name is Jesus. And when He comes into your life, He becomes your living hope. And He is able to forgive you of your sins and make you a new person and set you on a trajectory that is Godward. And you begin to love the things of God and you begin to come become a person that begins to have these values aligned where Jesus is at the center. And when Jesus is the thing your life is radiating around, there's stability. We live in a narcissistic culture that shakes its fist at the sovereignty of God and wants to become sovereign ourselves. We want to be on the throne. And when we try to dethrone God in our hearts, something has to take its place. And the Bible calls that idolatry. And many of us have made that exchange Perhaps you've put passion ahead of God. Perhaps you have put popularity ahead of God. Perhaps you have put a relationship ahead of Christ. And the further away from the center that Jesus gets from your life, something else is taking its place and it wrecks you. And then you wake up one day and you wonder, what's happened? Where have the years went? Perhaps some of you are in here and it's been decades and decades and decades and you feel like you're unraveling and you need to get help. You need this rescue. You see, John's disciples had come to a place where they were confused. And many of us get there. We were all once there. If we're Christians in the room and, and the Lord sorted us out, we all, like, street, like sheep, went astray. Each to our own way. But the Lord sent Jesus to deal with it. And that's the only reason there's clarity in your heart. And even as a believer, you can move away from the center. And discipleship is all about marinating on the message of John. He must increase and I must decrease. And that is so against the grain of what we think. I want to be the center of the universe. I want to be the center of my marriage. I want to be the center of my workplace. I want to be the one getting all the accolades and praise. 
And what happens to a heart that begins to submit to Jesus is you begin to see you were made to bring glory and honor to God. And when you're aligned, and when Jesus is number one, and, and you've opened yourself up to rescue, and you have invited him in, and he sorted you out and restructured your life and called you on a new path, then you begin to experience joy. Which is the next point. The path to true and lasting joy is the path of making much of Jesus. Did you see that there in verse 29? We read this little analogy really quick. But John is getting at something. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Did you see that? So John's whole ministry is about to give way. His whole ministry is about to become obsolete. His whole ministry is about to fade into the background. And what does he say to his disciples? But he lays on them a, a, a picture of a marriage. And he's like, y'all, Jesus is the groom. And the bride is the church. And I'm all about the church and the groom coming together. I'm all about bringing that thing together. I'm all about rejoicing in that. Don't you see? Do you, do you see how ugly it would be if the best man at the wedding got all into himself and was all about like, don't worry about bride and groom. Like, it's all about me. Is it, is it toast time? Let's do this thing. All right. And it was me, myself, and, and, and I. Something ugly is going on in the heart. But John says, listen, do, do you know that I'm a friend of the bridegroom? That, that's, that's the groom. I'm a friend of the groom. And I rejoice to see the groom and the bride together. In fact, that's what I was preparing for. And I'm excited. I love to see that happen. And therefore, see that, that, that word at the end of verse 29? Therefore, this joy of mine, this joy of mine, this thing, this ministry I had preparing the people, and many people rejected his ministry. But he knew oh, God's going to draw the bride to the groom. In the Old Testament, the picture of the relationship between Israel and God was that of the bride and the groom. God was considered the husband of Israel. God was considered the husband. And the whole book of Hosea is about an indictment on Israel that they had prostituted their God. And they had went whoring after other gods. And they were like an unfaithful wife. And that is why a Savior needed to come. And then we come into the New Testament. And what is the picture of the church? One of the pictures of the church is she is the bride of Christ. Do you see that? 
Do you see the kind of magnetism of the gospel when Jesus comes on the scene and people start getting saved and lepers start walking and blind people get sight and people shackled in bondage to sin start getting set free and brought into connection with God that the, the, the groom is calling his bride. That's what's happening. And so John is just thrilled at that. It's like, brothers, do you, do you realize what's happening here? We, we're, we're in a pivotal moment of salvation history when God is doing something new. And perhaps you're in here today and you just need a fresh work of God in your life to draw you to Himself. You've been longing for it. He's been speaking to you about it week after week after week. And you've been running. And God is so gentle and so loving. And He's just like, come to my son. Come to the groom. Because this husband lays down his life for his wife. He laid it down on a cross so that she might have life. So that she would be unspotted and unstained in her sin. She would be cleansed. That's the picture of the New Testament portrait of the church. And John the Baptist's disciples could not get down with the reality of what was happening. Joy was supposed to be bubbling up in their hearts. And they were competing and jealous and envious. Robert Murray McShane was the pastor of a church in Dundee, Scotland in the 19th century. And he only pastored this little church for seven years. And he got very sick. And he died ultimately of health complications. But for seven years, his ministry was about a single-minded focus of making much of Jesus. He would say stuff like, for every look you take at yourself, take ten looks at Jesus. Right? He would say of the preacher, right? The preacher's job is not to make much of himself, but to make much of Christ. To extol Christ. To glory in Christ. To point to Christ. To point to the Savior. And there was nothing that gave him more joy than seeing others succeed in the ministry. And he labored for seven years and made a glorious impact and he was a blessing to others. But at one point in his ministry, he goes on a missionary tour around Scotland and he leaves another pastor in the area to take his pulpit. And while he is gone, a revival breaks out at Dundee. And the Spirit begins just saving people left and right. And news comes to him from afar. And I just want you to listen to a portion of how he responds in a letter to this pastor who's getting all kinds of blessing at his church. You remember... It was my prayer, it was the prayer of my heart when we parted that you might be a thousandfold more blessed to the people than ever my ministry had been. 
That was my heart. And so I rejoice. What can do that in a person's heart? It's our natural reaction to want, I want to be there for revival. And McShane is like, I'm glorying in that. Because he had the heart of John the Baptist. And anybody who really begins to let the Gospel grip their heart and their life and their mind and their thinking and just reshape everything, and you come to Jesus whole-souled and you're just like, I'm yours. You begin to have those things go on in your soul. So the path to joy is this path of making much of Jesus. And the last and final point I want to bring to us is what John says in verse 30. Now this has shaped millennia of Christian thinking about what our hearts should be like. Verse 30, John declares at the end of all of this, He must increase and I must decrease. That was his heart cry. I don't want to put myself before Jesus. I want to put myself under Jesus. And listen, if you're in here today and you're not under Jesus, you've not put yourself under His authority, you've not surrendered to Him, you've not trusted in Him, then your life is unraveling, the Bible says. We've been separated from God. We've been broken in our sins and we need Jesus to put us back together. We're like Humpty Dumpty, right? He falls off the wall, shatters into a thousand pieces, and he's trying to put himself back together again, but he can't. But Jesus can. He's the way maker. He's the one who brings unity among a people from every tribe, tongue, and nation. How do you get a people from all different ethnicities and all different backgrounds and all different social classes together and they're redeemed and they're renewed and they're getting along, but by a supernatural work of the Spirit transforming their lives? He must increase and I must decrease. But so, so many people today want a little bit of Jesus, like Mary Poppins. Just a spoonful of sugar, right? Help the medicine go down. Just a little bit of Jesus on that thing. But that's not the way of Christ. That's not the way of the Gospel. The Gospel is calling people out of the darkness into His marvelous light. The Gospel is calling people to surrender their lives with every part of them to this King and to sing with John the Baptist, He must increase and I must decrease. Jesus is calling us out of lip service to Him, to total surrender to Him. He once said to His disciples in the Sermon on the Mount, In Matthew chapter 7, he had concluded his sermon like this. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. 
And on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, Jesus said, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. What is Jesus saying here? But this version of Christianity that just gives lip service to Jesus without surrender to Jesus is a Christianity that doesn't know Jesus. And a Christianity that knows Jesus and a person that knows Jesus begins to surrender to Jesus. And the process of becoming more like Jesus, which the Bible calls sanctification, is every day you're growing in that surrender. Every day you're beginning to understand what John the Baptist was saying. He must increase and I must decrease. Are you willing to fade into the background and exalt Jesus? Well, that was the heart of John. And Jesus is the good shepherd. And he's calling his sheep today. He's calling his sheep to come. He's calling you, if you hear his voice, to come. Perhaps you are in this state of complacency, this state of spiritual sluggishness or stupor, or perhaps you have not known King Jesus at all and you have not experienced this living hope. And John the Baptist and the witness of the Gospel of John is pointing you to Christ. Come to Him. He said, My sheep hear My voice. And they listen to me and they follow. And those who come to me, I will never let them be snatched out of my hand. That's security. Some of us are chasing so much after security and it's only found in Jesus. You can lose your job. You can lose your finances. You can lose your health and you lose your health and you can lose your life. But if you have made much of Jesus, if you have surrendered to Him and trusted Him for forgiveness of sins and been brought into the family of God, then all the treasures of God are yours. Every spiritual blessing. And one day, a new heaven and new earth. And the book of Revelation says, in its closing moment, the Spirit and the Bride say, Come. And that is the job of the church. The Spirit and the Bride say, Come, come all ye who are thirsty, come to Christ and drink and be set free. In a minute, we're going to pray. And we're going to have a time for you to put your trust in Jesus. For you to acknowledge Christ if you don't know Him. For... You, if you're a Christian in the room and you feel like I'm in this camp, I just went John the Baptist disciples style for a little bit. And I want to come back to this blazing center of making Jesus the center of my life. Well, that's a time for that, that kind of a commitment too. So as we come to pray together, I'm going to ask you to come down. Whatever commitment you're making, if you want Christ, you come forward. I'd love to pray with you. 
and lead you in a prayer to receive Christ. But do not stay in your seat because you're afraid. Trust Jesus. Our life starts to unravel when we begin to run away from Jesus. But you trust Jesus. You get real with Jesus. And God begins to break in and renew you. And the old is gone and the new has come. Jesus called all his disciples publicly. And the Lord is calling you today. If the Spirit is speaking in your heart, and you know, like, yeah, this is me. Today is the day. Let's pray. Father, we pray that you would bless this time and that you would help us right now. Lord, we're, we're needing a visitation of your Spirit. We're needing a visitation of grace. There's some in the room who are wanting to make brand new commitments to Jesus. They're seeing their need. They're freshly awakened to, uh, my life has been struggling and I know the reason why. I know sin has separated me from my God. I know I need to come back to Christ. I know I need to hear the voice of the good shepherd. And Father, I pray for them, Lord, that you would be moving on their hearts and that they would come to the front as we sing this song. And for those who have been stabbed awake, they're, they're believers but they've lost the priority. Somewhere down the line, they've lost the reality. The substance is gone. And there's a hollow husk. And you're calling them to get real with Jesus. And so, Father, I pray that we would enter into this joy that John the Baptist talked about. This joy of knowing King Jesus. And so we pray, bless this time as we continue to worship. And the Spirit and the Bride say, come. In Jesus' name, amen.